This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Rusty Gray and Toya Christian Fellowship. For more information, visit tcfministries.org. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well? Good. I so appreciate you being here. Before I get into my message, I would like for you to agree with me in prayer. Two weeks, we're two weeks away from Easter weekend. Uh, I'm going to finish this morning on Not a Fan, and then I'm going to preach a message next week. And then the week after that is our weekend, our Easter weekend, where we're going to do our four services. And so I want us to agree in prayer that God is going to bring people, and that we're going to get to be able to minister the simple message of the gospel to them and uh, see people come to Christ. You know, one of the things that we want to do as a church is we want people to find Christ when they come to church. Amen? And so we're going to do that. Then next week, we're going to pray in just a moment. Next week, we're going to receive communion. Now, we typically do that once a month, the first Sunday of the month. But we're going to go ahead and receive it next week. And we're going to receive for one thing. And that's for our Easter weekend. And it's this way at church anytime. But if if God's not involved, uh, it doesn't matter. Amen. And so we're going to pray that God's grace is on Easter. So you join with me, and I'm going to pray, and you agree with me. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we want to lift up Easter weekend. Lord, we know that people's hearts are drawn to church. People think about church. People come to church who generally don't even think about it, but they do on Easter. Father, I thank you for your grace on our Easter services, our Saturday night and our Sunday services, that your presence is there, your goodness is there, and that people will be touched and they'll be drawn to you. Father, we pray for our family, our neighbors, our friends, the people we work with. Father, would you lay someone on our heart that we could invite to church? Would you lay someone on our heart that we could give a card to and we could say, hey, would you join me Easter uh, at my church? I would love to have you. Father, thank you for Harvest. Thank you that we'll see people saved Easter Sunday, that we'll see people come to Christ. And then after that, we'll be able to do a water baptism and see people baptized. Father, we thank you for your grace on Tulia, your grace on Swisher County and on this area. And we agree in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to be praying for somebody to uh, bring them to church. Amen. Amen. I'm going to finish this morning on Not a Fan. Uh, If you've been reading the book, continue to read the book. Uh, We'll finish this morning, but don't stop on the book. If you haven't finished it, it's great. It's going to minister to you. Here's some things that we have found out. We found out, and my heart for you, is that wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, that you simply take the next step, whatever that is in your life. The things that we've talked about is it's easy sometimes to have a casual weekend relationship with Christ. And then the rest of the week belongs to us. Our work life belongs to us. Our money belongs to us. Our family belongs to us. Our free time belongs to us. And God, I'm going to have this casual weekend relationship. We have found out that sometimes we want to be close enough to God, close enough to Jesus for the benefits. Everybody wants eternal life. But I don't want to be close enough that it requires any change in my life. And, you know, I've heard this before that God loves you just the way you are. But he also loves you enough to not leave you the way you are. Amen? That he wants to change us. And then we've also talked about how it's hard to have Jesus Christ in your life and him not change you. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to change you. So we've been talking about these things. Now, here's my heart. Okay, my heart for you as your pastor is that you just continue to grow, that you're continually encouraged and strengthened. 
Listen, this message is not a condemning message. That's not my heart at all. And I don't believe it's the heart of the book or or the man that wrote it. But that you're challenged. Now, I want to read to you this morning out of the New Testament. I'm going to read Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start with 57. I'm going to read a few verses. And in my Bible, where these verses begin, the heading is called this. The cost of following Jesus. So let me read the scripture to you. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. Jesus is speaking. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Verse 61. Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I know that these can be some hard verses. These can be hard sayings. I mean, it can almost seem very intolerant. And the thing I want you to see out of these three simple examples is this. Each one of these people said, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. But then they included on my own terms. Lord, I want to go say goodbye to my family. Lord, I want to go to a funeral. Uh, Lord, I'll follow you if there's benefits. The guy said, hey, I'll follow you, Lord. And Jesus said, hey, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Well, if there's not enough benefits involved in this, I don't know if I want it. So the very first thing I want you to see this morning is these men said, hey, I'll follow, but I'm going to do it on my own terms. Now, here's something very interesting. In the Gospels, in the New Testament, Jesus talked about believing five times. He talked about following 20 times. Now, I'm not saying this morning that following is more important than believing because it's not. They both go together. You see, if you follow but you don't believe, it doesn't do any good because we know the only way we find Christ is through his grace and through receiving him as Savior. But it's important that you understand they go together. You see, it's easy to say, Lord, I believe. And that's the right thing to do. You should do it. But then he says 20 times, hey, I also want you to follow, not just believe. Now, here's what we do a lot of times as Christians. We treat God as a personal consultant rather than Lord. Now, the word Lord means boss. That's what it means. When I say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and that's a very common phrase in church, hey, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, what I'm really saying is Jesus is my boss and Savior, all right? He's not a consultant in my life. He's my boss, and there's a very big distinction between that. See, lots of times as Christians, you know, if you've ever worked in the nursery before or you've been around toddlers, what's one of their big things? You're not the boss of me, right? Yeah, children can be very big in that, and then we as adults can, a lot of times, we can be the very same way, right? Hey, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to go to heaven. I want to know you as my Savior, but oh, by the way, Lord, please don't try to tell me what to do. All right, listen to this. A consultant is someone whose wisdom we highly value and listen to. But at the end of the day, we make the final decision. That's why they're called consultants. Here's the problem. God doesn't do consulting. Never has, never will. He does God. When we treat him as a consultant, he simply stops showing up for the meetings. Listen, God does not want to be a consultant in your life. He wants to be Lord of your life. Now, toward the end of the book, I finished the book. Toward the end of the book, there are two amazing personal stories about two heroes of the faith. 
And I want to take the time that I have left and share these two powerful stories with you. And here's what I want you to see as I begin to share these stories. I'm not asking you to compare your life to this person. I'm not asking you to measure your life and say, well, I'm not doing as much as this person, so maybe I'm not as good a Christian as they were. That's not what I want you to do. What I want it to do is to challenge you. So let me begin to read. Annie Judson was the wife of America's first foreign missionary, Adoniram Judson. Adoniram was 24 when he decided to leave America and sail to Burma. Now, Ashley teaches school here now at the junior high, but for three years she taught at East Ridge Elementary. And if you were around during those three years, you heard me talk about the students that she was teaching. And many of those students that were in the school at East Ridge and Amarillo were from Burma. Okay. Burma didn't have a single missionary and was an extremely hostile environment. He was in love with Annie, who was 23 at the time. Adoniram wanted to marry Annie and then moved to Burma to spread the gospel. Before he married Annie, he wrote her father the following letter asking for her hand in marriage. Listen to the letter he wrote. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of the missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and disaster, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness? Let me continue to read. Her father told him that it was her decision to make, and Annie thought about this decision, and she wrote the following note to a friend of hers named Lydia Kimball. Here's the note. I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. Now, I don't want you to miss this. He tells her father, I want to marry your daughter. We are going to move to Burma on the mission field, and you are never going to see her again in this life. Now, it's hard to fathom that in our day and time, right? Just this past week, I Skyped on the internet with a missionary couple who live in Lagos, Nigeria. And they were clear on the screen. I was clear on their screen. And we visited like we were in the same room. I mean, because of technology today, we can't even stretch our mind around this. But for just a moment, I want you to allow this to settle into your heart. I want to speak to parents and I want to speak to grandparents. Imagine your daughter or your son coming in and saying, I'm leaving to go on the mission field, and the next time you see me will be in heaven. And when I'm there to receive my crown of righteousness, we will have a great reunion. 
Well, I don't know what that stirs in your heart, but I can tell you what it stirs in mine. Oh, my gosh. No way, right? The cost is too high. No way, Lord. There's no way I would give you one of my children on the mission field and never see him again as long as I live. That's what they're doing. Now, let me continue read the story. So in 1813, they left for Burma. They would experience one hardship after another. In 1824, Adoniram was put in prison. He was there for 18 months. At night, his feet were tied up and hoisted up into the air till only his shoulders and head rested on the ground for 18 months. It was often 110 degrees, and the mosquitoes would eat him alive at night. When he went to prison, Annie, his wife, was pregnant. But she walked two miles each day to plead that Judson be released. After a year in prison, eating rotten food, Adoniram had wasted away with hollow eyes, dressed in rags, and crippled from the torture. His daughter, Maria, was born while he was in prison. Annie was as sick and as thin as he was. Her milk dried up. Mercifully, the jailer actually let Judson out of prison each evening so he could take the baby into the village and beg for women to nurse the baby. That'd fill up a church, wouldn't it? Man, come to our church, man. We got a coffee bar and... No, never mind. Okay. Eventually, Adoniram was released. Not long after that, his wife died at 37 from spotted fever. Because of their efforts, though, the entire Bible was translated into the Burmese language. Today, there are 3,700 congregations in Burma that trace their beginning to when the Judsons said to God, wherever. God pointed to Burma and said, what about there? Now, again, I don't want this story to condemn you. That's not my heart. But this story so moves me. Paul said in the New Testament that he was going to pour his life out to God as a drink offering. What in the world does that mean? Well, in the Old Covenant, when they would offer sacrifices... They would, honor, they would offer animal sacrifices. They would offer agriculture sacrifices like wheat and grain. And they would offer liquid sacrifices. And one of the things they would do is they would take wine and they would either pour it on the animal to be burned or they would literally pour it onto the altar. It was a drink offering. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, Lord, I'm going to pour my life out to you as a drink offering. I'm going to give you all that I am. That's exactly what this family did. Now, when I finished Bible school, my grandfather, my mother's father, who I love dearly and was a very good man, told me one time, you could have really done something with your life. And what he meant was, don't pour your life out as a drink offering. Now, he was a Christian, and he's in heaven, and I will see him again. But that was his heart. I have an uncle, my mother's sister's husband, who had a grandson who went to Africa for two years on the mission field. And while he was there doing ministry work, 
they, the village he was in, uh, they killed a cow, and I don't know why they killed it. If they kill, killed it to eat it, I don't know what they were doing. But he took the hide from the cow, and they tanned it, and then they cut it into very thin strips, and they braided it together. Now, he's from West Texas. He was a cowboy, and he braided it and made a lariat rope out of it so he could rope. Well, while he did that, the cow had some type of disease, and the disease was in the skin of the cow, and somehow he contracted the disease that the cow had. And they didn't find out till later that he had it. And he suffered, and he was sick, and he had to have different treatments and antibiotics. Now, he didn't die. He recovered. But I can remember his grandfather, my uncle, said this. He said, you know, it would be amazing if Casey was on the mission field. Excuse me. It would be amazing if Casey was in Africa working for Exxon. But instead, he's on the mission field trying to help those blank. And I'm not going to tell you the word that he said. Listen, I want my life to be a drink offering for the kingdom. I do not want to get to the end of my life and I spent my life on all the wrong things. Let me read you one more story. Have anybody in here ever drank Borden's milk before? Right, Borden? Y'all know about Borden with a cow with a little flower around her neck, right? Okay, all right. This is about a man named William Borden. He will forever be known as a follower of Christ. There are plenty of other ways he could have been described. He could have been described as a multimillionaire. He was born in the late 1800s, and he was the heir of the Borden family fortune, a dairy company that is worth billions today. He could be described also as an Ivy League graduate. He did his undergraduate work at Yale and earned a graduate degree from Princeton. But William Borden decided to be known as a follower of Christ. He left his millions and followed the call of Jesus to the unreached Muslim people group. Those folks are kind of in the news right now, Muslims, right? After he graduated from high school, his parents sent him on a tour around the world. He traveled Europe, Asia, and the Middle East because they were wealthy. God began to call him to reach out to the lost people who had never heard the good news of the gospel. He wrote home to tell his family he was giving his life to Jesus on the mission field. On that trip, he wrote two words in the front of his Bible, no reserve. He knew that following Jesus in this way would require a complete commitment. William's father insisted he attend the university, so he did enroll at Yale. His freshman year, he found that his passion for Christ was not shared by many at Yale. So he began meeting with a friend in the morning to read the Bible and pray. Before long, another student joined them, and it became a revival on the campus that students met in different groups for Bible study and prayer. By the time he was a senior, 1,000 students were a part of this group. On entry, he recorded in his personal journal during that simple time, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Let me read it to you one more time. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During his time at Yale, Borden also worked with the homeless and the hurting who were living on the streets of New Haven. He founded and personally funded the Yale Home Mission in an effort to rehabilitate alcoholics and addicts. 
His father died while he was at Yale, and he inherited the entire family fortune. He's now a multimillionaire. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No retreat. He knew that following Jesus meant he couldn't look back. He knew Jesus was calling him to world missions, and he decided to take the gospel to the Kansu people in China. Before going to China, he met, excuse me, he went to Egypt where he could learn the Arabic language and prepare for his ministry to Muslims. While he was in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. William Borden died one month later at the age of 25, and he is buried in Cairo, Egypt. There might be some who would say that he didn't make a good trade. He gave up his family, he gave up his fortune, and he gave up his career to follow Jesus Christ as a missionary, and he died before he reached the mission field. But the man who sparked a revival at Yale and ministered to hundreds through his mission and has inspired thousands of missionaries with his commitment knew he had made the right decision. After his death, there were three phrases found written in his Bible, and they read as follows. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. Is that the way you are living your life as a follower of Christ? What would change? Listen to me. What would change in your life if you were to go all in and be completely committed to following Jesus Christ? Now, the New Testament says, Jesus himself said, that if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake in the gospel, you will save it. Now, here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to move to China. I'm not asking you to move to Burma. I'm not asking you to give up your job. I'm not asking you to change careers. I'm not asking you to do any of those things. Here's what I'm asking. What does your commitment to Jesus Christ look like? If you were to say that you're all in. Now, here's what I know. Every one of you are in the ministry. Every one of you have the ministry of reconciliation. And every one of you every day reach people that I could never begin to reach. You're here for one reason, and that's to beat the dents out of your armor, to sharpen your sword, have some coffee and a cinnamon roll, see your pastor, and go back into the battle. Everything you're doing in your life is as every bit as important as what they did. But I marvel at their commitment. I marvel that they were willing to give up their lives we're worried about our retirements, our paychecks, the square footage of our homes, where we're going on vacation, and those aren't bad things. Don't misunderstand me. But my heart this morning is wherever you are in your walk with Christ, wherever you are, that you just simply say, Lord, I want more. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do. Now, here's my last thought this morning. I love Tulia. Tulia's been good to me, super good to me. I love this city, and I love you, and I love this church. But I'm here for one reason, and that's because God pointed at Tulia and said, will you go? Amen. And I said, yes, I will. 
Here's my closing statement. My name is Rusty Gray, and I am not a fan. Would you stand, please? Father God, I want to thank you this morning that you strengthen us. You strengthen us to not just believe, but to follow. And that, Lord, we would be able to come to the place where we could say that we are all in. And just like the Judsons gave their life, just like the young man Borden gave his life, Lord, our lives belong to you. You bought and paid for them. Father God, I thank you this morning that you strengthen us for our ministries. You strengthen us at our jobs and with our families and that we are all in and that there's not one single fan in this room, but that we are all followers of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. I love you. Y'all go and be blessed and have a great rest of your day.